Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast. We will continue our series resolve. So if I had to uh, title our talk today, I would title it, We Have Plenty. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to uh, interact with me a little bit as I get into this message today. But we have plenty. And, uh, and, and for each and every one of us, if we get gut level honest, we've got even more than plenty. I want to throw a couple of questions your way uh, to entertain as we get rolling. One would be this. Why do we always chase after more? You ever notice that? Why do we always chase after more? Why do we oftentimes convince ourselves that our wants are really needs? Anybody ever been there? We, we listen to the lies of the enemy, but we can lie to ourselves like a champ, right? I think for a lot of us, like Solomon, we love the thrill of the chase. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's really uh, Solomon's biographical sketch of the thrill of the chase of pursuing more. Uh, the, the adrenaline rush we get when we get something, it, 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 when you buy that new truck or when you acquire that whatever, something new, you get a, a little adrenaline rush, right? And so we're a bunch of junkies in here and we love getting an adrenaline rush. And I think that may be why we chase more, uh, that dopamine People get that dopamine high. Uh, man, I got, I got 14 likes on this. and It's all about the rush, the feel good. And I think the reason a lot of us uh, pursue and acquire and obtain new stuff is because we get a, a buzz off of it. And, and I was writing down, I think, for a lot of people, they go out and buy more stuff out of boredom. Their souls are restless. They're not even thankful for what they've already got. So they're always going out trying to get more. And, and, and so we... We fall into the thrill of the chase. I, I think that's one of the reasons why we, we, we're always after more. And so then I, I wrote the next question of why do we struggle with contentment? Think about it. Why do we struggle with contentment? Why do we struggle finding joy even in the moment of the now? Why do we struggle like even being able to see God in the small stuff every day? I mean, God is at work around us every day, and if you'll just stop at times, you, you can just see the fingerprints and just the hand of God, and you're going, that is so cool right there. Like, Barb and I took a cedar out, our little two-and-a-half-year-old uh, grandson last night, and he loves going to your pie, so he crushed his own little pizza, and he likes pink lemonade, and he gets a little uh, uh, ice cream at the end, right? Because living with Benji and Grace, they don't eat that way every day. And so it really is a treat for that little dude when he's able to eat that way, right? I mean, he's over eating ground turkey and four ounces of rice and broccoli. But you, you see the way they look. They're all fit. So Cedar's going to be all shredded by the time he's probably eight. But, but watching him last night, Barb was taking pictures of him. And, and I'm watching him just gnaw on that pizza. I was like, that is amazing. He's so stinking cute. That is the, that, that's just like beauty right there, God. Thanks for that. Right? Now, if you stared at me eating like that, I'd go, time out, dude. You got issues. But, but when you watch a little one like that enjoy the feast and watching him sip on that pink lemonade, and I'm like, cedar, is that good? Pink lemonade. I'm like, yes, I love that. This, and, and, but we can see the fingerprints of God in small stuff every day. If we look for it, but oftentimes we're not even looking for it because for so many of us, we think contentment is a geographical location of where we're going to next or obtaining or acquiring or buying something else. And 
Contentment really is just an attitude of the heart. It's a joyful heart. And one of the definitions this week when I was studying, I shared this with Nick, contentment means to be unmoved by external circumstance. I wrote that down. I was like, that is a great working definition. That contentment and when the joy of the Lord is central, I'm not moved by whatever is happening externally. Paul wrote to Timothy. Listen to what he told him in 1 Timothy 6. Timothy's going to pastor in Ephesus. He's a, probably a 20-something-year-old dude. And, 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 and God is entrusting a lot to Timothy. And, and, and Paul has been mentoring this guy. And, and he writes to him and he said, hey, hey, godliness with contentment. And I like the way the New Living Translation captures this word right here. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. You want to be wealthy? You want to have great wealth? Then godliness, pursuing God and, and abiding with God and being conformed to the likeness of Christ and hanging with the Lord and that being your resolve, that right there is great wealth. Money can't buy it. Death can't take it away. Whoa, if you're godly, that's great wealth. And then he said, hey, hey Timothy, we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So he says, you can't take it with you. And he says, if we have food and clothing, let us be content. And every person in this room, I'm looking at you. Ooh, we're not a bunch of malnourished, hadn't been fed in a month people. We got food and we got clothing. And Paul is writing going, hey, man, if you got these two things, you ought to be content, meaning you ought to be satisfied in the Lord. You ought to say that that's good, right? So godliness leads to contentment, and that's true wealth. And you didn't bring anything, and you ain't taking nothing with you. So when, you, when you're sitting down, no matter what you're eating, be content. Remember my mom used to say this about her dad, Right? And I thought, that's interesting when I was growing up. But she would make this statement. She goes, my daddy can take leftover cornbread from lunch, cut up an onion, put it in a jar, mason jar, pour buttermilk and a little salt and black pepper on it. And she said, you would think he was eating a ribeye. He's so content. And I was like, wow. And I remember the first time I tried that. Mama, that is not a ribeye. <laughs> Matter of fact, Mama, that's not even a good can of vine of sausage, Mama. She goes, I'm telling you, he's content. Let's, let's take a wealth test. All of us. Here we go. Put your seat back up. On a, on, and we're going to travel down this path for a few minutes. If you live indoors and eat every day, you're in the top 15% of the wealthiest people on the planet. Anybody not in this category? Anybody not eat every day and do not live inside somewhere? Okay. You're, 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 you're one of the wealthiest people on the planet. Which means you've got plenty. Uh, if you spend $3 a week... Kara Blomquist, on a cup of coffee, you have plenty. I see y'all. 
you Starbuckers and Dunkins and all this. Ooh, and Tim is elbowing his wife, Amy, pointing at her saying, you got her, brother, you got And you know Foxworthy said this. He said when he first started doing the you might be a redneck if, he knew it worked because people would be elbowing each other. Whether it was a husband elbowing the wife or friends together. Anybody spend $3 a week on a cup of coffee? Yeah. If you have ever gone to the movies, a concert, or even a ball game and paid money, You've got plenty. You're in the top 15% of the wealthiest people on the planet. If you've got a set of clothes that you work in and another set that you lounge in and another set that you work out in, you've got. And if you've ever walked in your closet and said, I don't even have anything to, you are a liar. I'm not even going to say any more in that area. But ladies, if you've ever walked in and said, I don't even have any shoes to wear with this. You shouldn't have gone there. See, we're not throwing stuff. This ain't Gallagher, right? We're not throwing stuff at you, brother. If you have a TV that works and went out and bought another one, or if you've got a car that works and went out and bought another one, you've got... If you, if you look at, uh, like, just how much Americans spend on, I mean, you look at cell phones, I'm not even going to deal with that one. There, there's just so much stuff you can look at, like consumer reports and all this stuff. It's, it's very interesting. This is interesting right here. Americans last year spent over $96 billion on beer. Watch the Clydesdales today in those commercials. Watch how much money is spent on advertising beer. 96 billion. Wow. On average, on average for the married couple, they spend over 4,000 a year on gas. I'm talking about gas for the car. 4,000. That's a lot of money. And, 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 and based on what I've seen, the price is not going down. Coffee, I hit it before. It is an $11 billion a year industry in the United States. And thanks to the millennials and Gen Xers, they spend about 1100 a year on coffee. So, Rick, you can do the math on that to see where y'all fall on that right there with <laughs> And you know what's crazy? Like with Teresa and Amy and Kara, these girls, they, they, they come in. I'm going to go on and uh, I got to talk to y'all right now while I'm in this space. <laughs> and Dustin and I, I mean, Nick, like Amy and Teresa before staff meeting will oftentimes go get coffee. And they don't bring me and Dustin and Nick any back. So if you brought me Dustin and Nick coffee back, I wouldn't ever have said that right then. <laughs> It, we would have said, we understand, that is a justifiable purchase. So, Drew, I'm just telling you, they must be stewarding your money. Soft drinks. Do you know Americans spend $65 billion, billion plus on soft drinks? Barb Cash has never drank a full soft drink in her life. She's had maybe sips of ginger ale or Sprite or something. The girl, if you come to our house ever, ever, 
We've never had soft drinks in our house. Well, there you go. How about bottled water, 11 billion? Anybody grow up drinking out of a hose? Hey, my Jen, did y'all ever think we would see the day where you would walk into a convenience store and they would sell bottles of water? Dasani, Aquafina, all this. I'm like, are you serious? We used to drink out of the hose in the summer. And we would turn that thing on. Billy, growing up out there, man, in Oklahoma, you know how it is? And we would turn it on and we would be sweaty and it'd be like, we got to have something to drink. And that water came out at a, like 138 degrees, like it was a hot spring. <laughs> Remember, Chad? And we would sit there and go, Pff, and then we'd blow it in our face. And finally, 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 it would get to where it was maybe 90 degrees and we would drink it. Man, I was so thirsty. Nobody said, yeah, you want a bottle? A bottle? Let me get some more. How about this one? Tattoos. 2.3 billion. I've got family members that have contributed to that fund. Tattoo removal, 66 million. I told you not to get her name tattooed there. Now you had to cover it up with Goofy or Daffy. What are you doing? You mix alcohol and ink on the same night. 20 years later, baby, you regretting some stuff. Romance novels, 10 billion. Porn. Way over 14 billion. Gambling is going to hit highs today, but the average, they're, they're like, we spent about 34.6 billion on gambling, 17 billion on video games. Billion? Never played a game of Angry Birds or Candy Crush in my life. I will play you a game of checkers or something. Our generation, we use like real stuff, right? Credit card late fees, 18 billion. Some of y'all right now saying, yep. And I'm so mad at myself for what I did. Americans spend 40 billion a year on loan care. 47 billion on child care. We spend almost as much money on grass as we do our kids. I mean, landscaping. <laughs> that one in there like a little curveball right there just to see if you were paying attention. What's your conclusion? We have plenty and we waste a lot. Anybody else conclude that with me? Yeah. So, so Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Write this down and go back and ponder this one. But Jesus, uh, this is a great, great interaction with Jesus. And then he tells this parable. Listen to this. Someone in the crowd, Jesus is teaching. Someone in the crowd yells out, teacher, hey, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Y'all watch this one. Jesus said, man, who appointed me? A judge and arbitrator over you. Then he said, beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed, all forms of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Watch, watch this. Watch this. A dude says, hey, teacher, Rabbi Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And Jesus basically says to him, paraphrasing, 
bro, you don't have a need problem. You've got a greed problem. Because you think that possessions are going to lead to peace. And you think stuff is going to bring about satisfaction. And Jesus calls him out saying, even when a dude's got a lot of stuff, it still doesn't satisfy him. We live in a culture that battles greed. And greed tempts rich people and poor people alike because greed is not about what we have. It's about what we want. And inside the human heart, no matter whether you're rich or poor, something inside of us is always enticed to pursue more of what we want. Greed's never about what we have. Usually we're not even satisfied with what we have. Usually we're not back to content with what we have. And can I tell you something? Even this story right here, when the dude stands up and says, hey, tell my bro to divide the wealth with me. I have seen families collide, then divide over inheritance and money. I've seen brothers not talk to brothers and family members not talk to family members all because of their view toward the dollar. Well, I am going to get this inheritance, which means I ain't done nothing to work for any of it and somebody else worked their tails off, but I'm entitled for what somebody else did. I'm like, really? It's worth it? It's worth losing a, a, a friendship. It's worth losing a relationship. It's worth losing a close bond with somebody over a dime. R really? And I've seen people fight and argue and debate. And Jesus says, hey, do me a favor. Be on guard against every form of greed against all kinds of greed. Now, in the Old Testament, God told his people regarding greed, hey, do not covet. He said, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't cover your neighbor's farm. Don't covet because coveting is a form of greed. It's where you want something beside God. It's where you've convinced yourself that if you could have that, whatever that is, it, it would fulfill you and complete you. I've got to have that. And he goes, it, it, don't do that. See, see, greed can be a position. Well, I got this new title now, and now I'm a, a director and vice president. And it's like, look at me. Or it can be a relationship. If I could just meet that person, and then I would know somebody. It's really a need to be needed and a desire to be desired and noticed and applauded. Greed. And the power of greed is in this. It has the ability to turn your attention and affection away from God. I've become greedy. Hey, Jesus, tell my brother. He goes, dude, you don't have a need problem. You got a greed problem. It's not, the, it's not about the inheritance. Because greed, and we've seen this with people that have gone down just the financial ruins trail. It leads to worry and anxiety and 
comparisons and jealousy and insecurity and 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 greed's Greed's greatest like aim, if you will, is, is to tempt you to live for self and not for God. Look at you. And Jesus said, hey, if you'll come to me, you'll find life. Listen, listen, listen. Listen to this right here. Luke chapter 12. Continuing, Jesus then told them a parable. And he said, check this out. Let me illustrate and paint it up this way. He said, the land of a rich man was very productive. We would say he had plenty. And he, the rich man who had this productive land, began to reason to himself saying, listen, listen to this. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? There you go. What, 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 what should I do with my stuff? Yeah, plenty. But the problem is, homie, you started talking to yourself and you didn't talk to the Lord. You started reasoning with yourself and you didn't consult the Lord. Then he said, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods because I have plenty. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods. Seriously, you got more than plenty laid up for years to come. Take it easy, chill, drink, be merry. That's what I will say. Then Jesus looks at him and says, but then God said to him, but God, he said, you fool." This very night, your soul is going to be required of you. This very night, you're going to the worm buffet. This very night, you're going, boots up, bro. Today is your last day on the planet is what this means. You're about to die. You're about to check out. Your soul is going to be required of you. And then he says this, and now who will own what you've prepared? Who's going to get all what you work for? Even Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, I found this to be vanity of all vanities, going out and working and laboring and then dying and somebody getting your stuff and squandering it. And I've seen so many kids paralyzed with generational wealth because the parents or the grandparents made money and they passed it on to that next generation and the kid never learned how to work because he just tapped into all this. Like, that's what he said. You fool. Your soul's going to be required of you tonight and now who will own what you've prepared? So, so, so is the man who stores treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is all connected to this guy saying, tell my brother to divide that. And he goes, this ain't about being rich toward man. This ain't about being rich for yourself. This is about being rich toward God, about honoring God. Because where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. Ask, ask yourself this question. What is enough? What is sufficient? What is enough? What is sufficient? Ask this. Why do I always find myself chasing after more when I've got plenty right? We live in a hoard and consume society, and we live in a get more, spend more society. Oh, I, I, and believe me, you know I was affiliated with sports forever and still am. I've seen dads, and I saw this meme the other day, and it made me laugh. 
They will go out and spend $500 for a bat when their son has a $1 swing. I've watched him. I'm glad he wants to have a uniform and he's going to get a participation trophy. But I've seen his swing. The kid couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. Don't buy a $500 bat. That's not going to change him. Tim, we've seen people do this over the years. Chad, we've seen it. And I'm like, what did you just do? We're going to empower and give and empower and give. And it's like, what am I doing? So let me, let me say this to you. And I'm going to drive it now in this direction. The Bible never says that having money or having wealth is wrong. It is our attitude, perspective, and view toward it. The question we have to ask is, am I rich toward God? It's a heart issue because God desires and inspires each and every one of us, no matter where we're at chronologically, to live a life of generosity and radical generosity unto the Lord. Man, praise God, I can't wait to get these strobe lights fixed in this church, Dustin. I feel like I'm at a disco right up here, man, with these things blinking the way they are. So I'm going to give you two observations re regarding stewarding wealth for God's glory. Listen to these right here. Listen to these. One, when you steward wealth for God's glory the way God desires for you to do it, you will avoid unnecessary pains and struggles. I promise you, you will. There's a lot of people that have pain and chaos in their life because they're not honoring God with God's money. Paul, again, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, as I quoted earlier, he goes on to say, hey, Timothy, t t just, just take this to heart and teach other people what, what I'm about to tell you. People who long to be rich fall into temptation. People who want to be rich, they want the pie in the sky. They, people that are always chasing the gusto, watch them. They, they're going to fall into a lot of different temptation. And once they fall into the temptation, they get trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Hey, when you're chasing after being rich and being somebody, the temptations are going to lure you, and before you know it, you're going to get tripped up and trapped, and it's like, ah, oh, you're heading toward destruction. He goes on to say, and here's the verse. You need to know this one. He says, for the love of money. He didn't say money. Money can be a neutral thing. But for the love of money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people and some craving money have wandered from the truth, have drifted from the truth and, tr and drifted from faith, and they've pierced themselves with all kinds of sorrows. They've got a, a sorrowful life because they were chasing after the money and after the pleasure and after the stuff. And God goes, that's not where you're going to find satisfaction and peace anyway. Then, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach those, we're in the top 15 percentile in this room, I want you to teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. It's unreliable. It's here one day and gone. Hold on to it loosely. Tell them their trust should be in God. Because God richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment, need not want. Tell them to use their money to do good. Tell them to leverage their money to advance the kingdom of God. Tell them to utilize their money to, to bless 
and invest in the things of God. That would be wise. That would avoid pain. That's what he's saying right there. You want to avoid pain and chaos. He's laying this out for us. Tell them they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share. We would say that would be wise to do it that way, right? That, we would go, ah, I want to live that way. I, I remember right after I got saved, I was, I, I don't know if it's narcissistic or what. I, I didn't know a whole lot. I didn't know the difference between Job and Job when I first got saved. The names of the, I, I really didn't. But I'm like, ah, oh, there's a book named Timothy. No way I'm going to read it. I thought it was pretty cool that it was named Timothy because my mom and daddy named me Timothy. And I remember reading this as a brand new believer and I thought, I, I, need, to, I need to live that way right there. I'm like, he's writing to Timothy about not falling. And I was playing professional baseball at the time and there were a lot of dudes making a lot of money. And you should have seen the cars and the houses and Barb, we ministered in that culture for a long time. And we saw these people go out and obtain these lifestyles that once the paycheck stopped or they got released, they lost everything. I was like, yeah, keep it simple. Second point I will tell you is this. Not only will you avoid a lot of unnecessary pain, you will live a blessed life. Even Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. I'm not going to read it to you yet because I want you to think about something. Most of us who have had any church affiliation for any period of time can probably quote or at least recognize Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of those kind of go-to for church folk believers. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean in on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge the Lord and he will make your path straight. And I've seen people get Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tatted on their arms. And, uh, and, and I've seen people, man, just kind of pri uh, pride that around with like a little bracelets with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, brother. I've never seen anybody have tatted on them verses 9 and 10. Oh, that's pretty good right there. Close it. We memorized those two. Rodney, we're good to go. He goes, no, keep reading. Keep reading. Trust me. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. Watch me work. I want to lead your path. Hey, and then he goes on to say, hey, hey, go ahead and honor the Lord with your wealth from the first, first, first of your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Hey, hey, while you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart, and while you've made up your mind not to lean on your own understanding, go ahead and honor God with the first, with the tithe, with the best of everything you've got. Because God calls us to give him the very best of everything we have. Well, why would he want the best of everything we have? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. The reality is we don't own anything. It all belongs to him. So when he says, bring me the best, he just wants you to return what already belongs to him. He's not asking you to give him something that belongs to you. He's asking you to return to him something he's allowed you to borrow. Did y'all get that? Y'all get that? Y'all stay with me here. This is about to get real fun. It's about to get real fun. It all belongs to the Lord. Give me the first. Give me the best. Sanctify the first day of the week is worship. 
Why? Because we give the Lord the first and the best. It's the principle throughout the pages of Scripture. So when it comes to finances, we always give God the first and the best, the first tithe and the best. So if you had, if you had right now to describe your giving patterns and habits, how would you describe them? Seriously. I got four words. There's, there's more, but I'm going to play on these four. And I sent out a thing this week because of that uh, gift challenge thing, uh, the gift match uh, challenge, and, and, and there's a little card in there that mentions these four words. But here, here they are. Um, the word that would best describe my giving would be rare. Uh, it would be random. It would be regular. No, it would be radical. Let me, let, me, let, let me break them down. I want you to think about where you're at, okay? Rare. I mean, I give once every blue moon. I mean, honestly, yeah, that's probably where I'm at. I have no plan. I have no commitment. I have no strategy. Okay, so, 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 so if you ask me how much I give over the course of a year, I would say I would use the word hardly nothing. That's, that's where you're at. I'm not shaming you and guilting you for where you're at. I'm just telling you, we love you too much to encourage you to stay where you're at because God says bring the first fruits and the best to him. So all we're trying to do is to help you be all you can be and the best you can be for the glory of God. And we don't want to see you live a stuck, defeated life. Okay, so other people would say, I'm not rare, but I, I think that random word probably is me. I mean, I give, but with little consistency. It's very sporadic. Yeah, I give little. So if you looked at tithing and this stuff you're talking about, eh, over the course of the year, I, I, I would say I'm a tipper and I might give 5%, maybe 8%. I'm just random. Okay, that's where you're at. But we love you too much to let you just stay where you're at. Others would say, I'm regular. I'm consistent. I, I, I give consistently, Tim. And I give, but not a full tithe. I, I make well over 100, but if you looked at my giving statement, it would indicate I probably made around 50 because I gave maybe five grand last year, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost close to 200 a year in what we make. But no, I don't tithe, dude, but, I, but I'm regular. Okay, That's, But we love you too much to want to see you stay there because God never said, be rare, be random, or be regular. He goes, I love a radical, generous giver. That's what God said. Cash money didn't make this up. Tim Cash didn't make this up. So then we get to the place where we talk about radical giving. And we're talking about we tithe plus. We, we, we give 10% plus. And, but because it's impossible to walk in the grace of the gospel and, and to start tithing and go, that's the ceiling. It's not the ceiling. It's the floor. It's where I start. That's what I build from. And so over the years, you can get to the place where you go, all right, we're going to tithe. And then it goes to 12% and 14% and 18%. And, and then you start giving offerings and different things when you're supporting different ministries and all that stuff. And you're like, that's, yeah. Because God loves a cheerful, generous giver. Again, we're yet. And the challenge is to get in the game and play the game according to the way God wants the game played. I use game only because, again, the Super Bowl today, and it's like, all right, here's how the game is played, and you've got to stay within the context of the game. 
So God goes, here's how I want you to do your, 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 your finances and your stewarding of wealth. Now listen to me. Some people don't give because they can't. They're in a position like, I've jacked some things up and I, I've got to get myself in a position where I can. But some people, they don't give because they can't and other people don't give because they won't. They just won't do it. But I can promise you this, and I've been on this rock for about 59 now, years. If, if you don't have a plan for your money, the world does. And if you're not trusting God's plan for your money, you will be lured like a champ today to throw your money into something if you watch any of this Super Bowl. With the, the amount, these people are not spending millions upon millions on commercials today just to say, we want them to like us. No, they want you to buy something from them. Okay? And tomorrow morning, they're going to get together and talk about who had the best commercials. And then... About three months from now, they're going to sit down and see how much money their commercials generated for their business. This ain't just like entertainment going, oh, ain't that cute? No, they're, yeah, baby. We're trying to roll you in. Roll you in. So Randy Alcorn wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. Read it years ago. Grace and Truth Paradox, Treasure Principle. Great book. I would recommend it. Ron Blue. Uh, his firm, the Ron Blue firm, uh, is the top probably Christian financial group in America. Ron Blue wrote a book, Master Your Money, all biblical pro uh, uh, concepts. Larry Burkett was the founding father in this space. I, I, Larry was one of the first guys I ever heard speak back in 1986, right after I got saved, talking about stewarding money for God's glory. He was the only one out there. Uh, Ramsey has kind of become a player now, total money makeover, financial peace, the stuff that Drew and Steve Trailer are leading right now. And it's all about helping you uh, not only get out of debt, but eliminate debt and define freedom so that you can walk with God in such a way to glorify God. That's what we're trying to do, right? So we give, we save, we give, we save, and then we invest. So that's been like part of the thing. And then we've got our lifestyle trying to obtain what we can maintain and so that we don't put ourselves in, in straps. And that's been the game plan for years. So it was 10, 10, 80. This is good for Alex, just getting married. 10, 10, 80. So we, we give the first 10, we save 10, and we live on 80. And then, and then it gets to where it's 15, 15, 70. So we're going to give 15 to kingdom work, save 15% invest, and live on 70. And then you get to where it's about 20, 20, 60. And I, I promise you, if you start that game plan, Josh Lee, Hannah, if you guys will start that when you're young, like my Jesse and Kelsey, like my Benji and Grace, I promise you, when you get down the road, you'll go, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because you'll have, like, investments set aside, and you're, you're like, you know what? Because we plan God's way, Praise the Lord. And it puts you in a place where it's not that you can live with comfort, but you, you, you can look back going, that was wise that we did that. I'm still going to trust God as much today as I did yesterday, and I'm not going to eliminate trusting God just because my 401K or 403B says it's got this much in it. I'm going to trust God but say, thank you that your principles work. Okay. So God invites you to test him and trust him. The Malachi 3 text is where um, so much over the years, I mean, th this was one that really rocked me and helped me. And, 
and got me going, well, a man robbed God. I quoted it a few weeks ago. You're robbing me. Please listen to me. How are we robbing you? You're robbing me in your tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse for robbing me, the whole nation of you. Listen to me. You know as well as I do, if you've been around the faith and you claim to be a child of God and a, a follower of Jesus, you know as well as I do, it's hard to ask God to bless you when you know that you're robbing him. If somebody came up here this morning for prayer, and I knew over the last year they were constantly taking money out of my wallet, stealing my tools and anything that I had. They had ripped my truck off, sold it, and they came up and said, bless me, brother. I'd go, bless you. Uh, uh, there's a couple other things I want to do with you, but blessing you? And God tells his people that know better, you're under a curse because you're robbing me. I mean, I want to bless you, but you're, you, you're, you're not allowing me to free my hands to minister the way. He goes, why don't you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the whole tithe. If you make 100000 we're saying you bring ten. If you make 50, you bring five. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Why don't you test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings. So the illustration is you get 10, you return one. But again, it doesn't belong to us. So if you've got any ability, any talents, anything, guess where they came from? That's right. The Lord gave them to you. The very breath that you have, the Lord gave them to you. The very ability that you have, the Lord gave it to you. And so he goes, I just want you to return back to me. And please hear me, if you've never done this, and I don't care where you're at chronologically, if you've never done this, it's going to be hard to start it. Because you're going to say it makes no sense. And in doing so, you've already made a control move. Because here's what you're saying. I know how to handle my 100% better than God knows how to handle my 90%. That's a control move. That is a very arrogant, egotistical, narcissistic style thought process that is inside of us that we would never say that's true. Because God goes, return and watch me with what I do with the 90 or whatever. It's like, okay, I'm going to test you. I had to do this, but if you've never done it, it's hard, it's scary, it's frightening. But I promise you, if you step out and trust God, you'll go, well, let me go. God has provided exceedingly abundantly above anything I can ask or think. It didn't make any sense. I was scared to do it. But I was only returning back to him what belonged to him, and it wasn't mine in the first place. And even Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 9, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and to make up your mind what you will give because God loves it when the giver delights in giving. Take time, pray, ask God, make up your mind, then doing it. God, I know you want us to have influence and impact. This, is, this, this would be something I would tell you. Uh, and just pray. I know you want us to have influence and impact in people's lives. And I know, Lord, that when my hands are open and I'm living just freed up, Lord, it is a blessing to be able to go out and buy somebody something to eat. Or pray that. When you're doing that, you're like, we're in a position to bless that person. We're tithing plus. But now I'm, I'm in this place where I can encourage other people. And, 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 and let me tell you this. This is, 
There's a lot of junk in our culture right now when it comes to this financial teaching stuff that people can get into. There's a move called this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, believe it, receive it kind of mindset that, that exists out there. Y'all, y'all familiar with me? Where people are talking about, man, you sow $10 and God's going to give you 100 That's a bunch of junk. That mindset only works here in the States. It don't work in third uh, the third world countries. Where that, that is bad theology, bad, just jacked up stuff. We don't give because we're trying to roll the dice to see if we can hit sevens with God. All right? We're not slotting it. We're doing it because God said, this honors me. The only, the only reason we return back to God, what belongs to God, is because it honors God. Not that we somehow can try to get ourselves in position where we're going to be the beneficiary of something else. Now, is God going to bless us in ways that we can't even understand? But Steve, so many people have bought into that. It's like Olstein meets Creflo. All right, stay away from that, brother. Stay away. Stay away. Should have. I'm sorry, Barb. I didn't mean to say that. I didn't have it in my notes. All right. So the 100-day giving challenge is this. And we have cards back in the Connect Center. And I would challenge you. You've never done it. Do it. My part, by God's grace, I'm going to return. I'm going to return 10% of my income for the next 100 days. That's a 100-day giving challenge. All right. Meet with Steve, whatever, set it up and go, I'm, I'm going to give to the local storehouse what God says. 10%. God's part. God said, uh, I'm going to bless you. Test me and, and see if I will not open up the floodgates. God's part is, I'm going to take care of you. Watch me work. The Cross Loganville, our position on this, don't miss this. If after 100 days, God has not honored what God said he was going to do, we will give you back every dime that you've given because it wasn't, we didn't want your money in the first place. We wanted to see you get in a place of, dis, of growing as a disciple where you were freed up to trust God. Now, if all of us are contributing, it's amazing what we all can do if we're all honoring God. But the heart from us, whether it's me, Dustin, Nick, Steve, any of us, the heart in teaching this is not because we're begging you for your money. We're encouraging you to return back to God what belongs to God. That's all we're doing. And there's a big difference there. Okay? So that would be my encouragement. We've got these cards. Grab you one, fill it out, put it in the box to say, y'all pray for me. I had a brother come up to me and said, this is an area right here, brother, that I know God has, has really challenged me to stay faithful in. And my brother right before the service says, hold me accountable. I'm like, you got it. Here's my clothes. Here's my clothes. Frustrations happen for each and every one of us. Frustrations happen when our abundance and plenty is being threatened. Think about it. When we look at our plenty and our stuff and our abundance, anything that would threaten that, oh, you're messing with my stuff. It ain't mine. And we've got to ask, why am I always fighting to protect my stuff, my comfort? The earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to the Lord. What are you going to do? 